Do not fear. Rejoice. Fully embrace the raucous, cheering, dancing joy of God's presence among us. Do not fear. God is gathering the people on the margins of the community together and bringing them into the community, so the community will be complete once again. Do not be afraid. Rejoice. The word of life is near. The birth of Christ draws near. Everything we have waited for is about to happen. Rejoicing is what Zephaniah, the prophet, proclaims when he says God's mercy is poured out in love over the people of Judah, renewing and transforming them into faithfulness, health and well-being as peace is held in God's love. Rejoicing is part of John's call for repentance as his bombastic prepare the way. Echoes Zephaniah's call to fearless living centered in God, who rejoices for the one lost sheep that has been found and for the prodigal child who has come home. The morning stars sing together lauding the new creations, who are the people standing on the banks of the Jordan River. The sea roars, the hills sing and the trees of the field clap their hands celebrating the people with water dripping down their bodies from their heads to their toes, their faces turned toward John. There were so many faces. So, many different faces. Rich people, tax collectors, soldiers, leather workers, potters, farmers, men, women, and children. Faces like those of the homeless, faces that can be looked at and not seen. Faces seemingly without histories and faces seemingly without personalities, since we have nothing to remember them by. No letters. No books. No videotapes. No digital images stored on a smartphone or in Dropbox. They are strangers to us. Yet, they aren't just faces and they aren't strangers to John. They are real persons with families, with work to do, weddings to attend, children to nurture, protect, nourish and teach, with loved ones whose deaths they mourn. They are real persons God created in God's likeness and image. They are persons who matter to God. And, because they matter to God, they, also, matter to John. I believe John really loves those who heard his hard words, which too often have been used in the reap and or else school of fire and brimstone teachings of some Christian churches. Too often misinterpreted to condemn people as chaff, the part of the wheat plant shed to get to the whole grain. But, I think John loves these people as God loves them because he is telling them they are worthwhile and valuable and what God wants them to do is let go of the habits and hang-ups that keep them from being fully the image and likeness of God, that keeps them from being the people God created them to be. I think this is the reason John stood in the river, preaching enthusiastically, exhorting the people who lined the banks of the river to shoot to change the direction of their lives. Exhorting them to choose between life and death like Joshua when Joshua stood before Israel and told them they had a choice between living centered in God or living centered in something or someone else. Joshua and John desperately want the people to choose life because they want them to experience the joy, the freedom, and the overwhelming tranquility of peace that comes from living God's way of peace held in love. A way of peace drawing people into life-sustaining relationships because God's love is all about relationships that will sustain life. Indeed, God has created us to be in relationships and there are at least three ways of being in relationship that keeps us healthy and fulfills God's promises of joy and peace. Outward, these are our daily experiences of living in the world with other people our families, our friends, our neighbors, the bank teller, the drive-up window person at Dunkin' Donuts, the Wegmans clerk ringing up your groceries, the counter person at Sal's Pizzeria. Inward, this is how we relate to our inner self the person we are and the person we want to be. Upward, our relationship with God how we meet, experience, and live with God every day of our life from the mundane moments to significant seasons. Each of these relationships is important to sustaining and nurturing our lives as Paul points out in his letter to the church at Philippi. Paul delighted in his relationship with God and in his coming closer to being the person he wanted to be, but he also rejoiced in the outward relationships he began and kept throughout his far-flung ministry. 
His letter to the Philippian church reveals that while he was imprisoned in Rome, he was comforted when he remembered these brothers and sisters and the time they spent together. They were his joy and crown and they were his beloved friends, whom he called shining stars in the universe holding securely the word of life. The Apostle rejoiced in all his personal relationships and was strengthened and nurtured by them. Paul was teaching the Philippians what Jesus had come to teach, that a rich and deep life of joy and peace is based upon being connected to other lives. Archbishop Desmond Tutu writes about it this way, Africans believe in something we call Ubuntu Bodo. It means the essence of being human. It speaks about humanness, gentleness, hospitality, putting yourself out on behalf of others, being vulnerable. It embraces compassion and toughness. It recognizes that my humanity is bound up in yours, for we can only be human together. In our African language, he writes, we say, a person is a person only through other persons. I would not know how to be human at all except I learn this from other human beings. We are created to be in a delicate network of relationships of interdependence. We are meant to complement each other. When we break that fundamental law of our being all kinds of things go horribly wrong. No one and not even the most powerful nation can be completely self-sufficient. God created us in such a way that we are to find our humanness in our relationships with other people. One of the great Hebrew words from Genesis 2 is Ezer which is translated into English as helper. One reason this word is great is that it is associated with the woman God creates to the companion to the man and is only used again in reference to God or powerful kings. This means the woman is to be the man's powerful helper like God is humanity's powerful helper. As I think about the word beyond the story of the man and woman and reflecting about all of us being created in God's image and likeness, I believe we are to be each other's powerful helper, each other's powerful ally similar to the way God is our helper and ally, which is self-giving, forgiving, seeking what is best for the other person without dominating the other person, and seeking ways to sustain each other's life in relationships of mutuality. We learn to do this, to be the helper God intends us to be for each other, through the course of living our daily lives in mundane moments like shopping. I mean think about the last time you were shopping at Kohl's or Macy's did you look the sales clerk directly in the eyes as you took your package and said, thank you? Did you mean it? Were they helpful and present to you? Were you grateful for their time and attention? We are also each other's powerful helpers and allies by being fully present in each moment we live. Being fully present means seeing the people we meet each day as unique persons. For example, does the receptionist at the doctor's office own a dog or a cat? If so, what's its name? What is it like? Is there a funny story you remember about the cat or dog or some event in their lives? That young woman handing you your hamburger out the drive-up window had a name tag what is her name? Yet, we become the most powerful helpers in the midst of sorrows, troubles, disasters when we recognize how valuable our presence can be and how helpful we are when we realize that while we often do not have wise words, the right word, the circumstance transforming, magical, mystical words to say. We do have at least five ways we can be helpful to one another as Emily Heath wrote, we can say, I don't believe God wanted this or willed whatever happened since a grieving friend or family member is likely hearing that this is God's will from a number of other people. It is life-sustaining to affirm the idea that God did not will whatever occurred. We can say, it's okay to be angry, to feel all that you are feeling and I'm a safe person for you to express all of those emotions to if you need it. Expressing all the emotions one is experiencing is an essential part of the grieving process, but many people don't know where to talk about it because they are often silenced by others when they express their feelings. When you tell someone you are a safe person to share all feelings, including anger, you help the grieving person know where they can turn. We can say, it's not okay. Sometimes the pieces don't fit. Sometimes nothing works out right. And sometimes there is no way to fix it. Naming it can be helpful for some because it lets them know you won't sugarcoat their grief.
We can say, I don't know why this happened. We all want to ask why, but very often we do not know the answer and we cannot explain it, often it's best just to acknowledge what you do not know. We can say, I can't imagine what you are going through, but I am here to support you in whatever way feels best. Each loss is different, even if we have experienced a similar loss, so it is better to ask how the grieving person is feeling and what you can do to help. Then, do it and respect the boundaries around what they don't want help with at this point, since you will be putting some control back into the hands of the grieving person, who often feels like they have lost so much of it. Whether it is sorrow, unfathomable tragedy or simply the mundane and everyday encounters, each one of them carries with it the possibility of being in a relationship with another person. By the way, a relationship is not defined solely on the length of its duration. A relationship is begun when a genuine connection is made between people. A connection we can make only if we slow down our hectic and harried daily lives. Creating a life full of deep and rich personal relationships demands we take every human encounter seriously. Former House Speaker Sam Rayburn believed the three most important words in the English language are, wait a minute because they call us to pause in our encounters and conversations with each other and be mindfully and thoughtfully present to one another. Being present and attentively caring about and loving our neighbors with the self-giving, patient, enduring, faithful love of God, who is always near and present with us. A nearness and a presence we experience in the concreteness of Jesus the Christ, who is coming to teach us how to embody in our daily relationships God's love and way of peace, so we too might rejoice in all our relationships. Rejoicing that God loves us more than we expect to be loved. Rejoicing that God is near and present with us in Christ. Rejoicing that God is healing us, turning our mourning into dancing, our tears into joy as each night of despair and grief gives way to the dawn of God's new day. Rejoicing for all the joy and peace we experience with each smile and each thank you we give and receive from each person we encounter each day. So, yes rejoice you shining stars of the universe holding fast to the word of life. Rejoice you who are like the angels singing Alleluia's announcing to a darkened world that in Bethlehem a child is to be born, who is the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Wholeness and Loving Kindness.